going to deviate from our current sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount because we're obviously observing these special events and joining millions and millions of Christians all around the world as we celebrate uh, these wonderful, most important events that commemorate what Jesus did for us by going to the cross and then by rising from the dead. This is the very foundation, this is the very source of our faith. And you know, the Apostle Paul summarizes that in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. In that small verse, we have the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that is the power of God to salvation. Is there anything more important in all of this world than that great salvation? And if you know that salvation, your heart should be blessed and full of joy and thanksgiving to God for that unspeakable gift of God's love. And so God helping us this morning, I want to speak to you on the theme of glorying in the cross. Our text for today's message is found in Galatians chapter 6 and in verse 14 where the Apostle Paul said, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray today that as we meditate upon this word that your spirit has given us, that it would find a place in our hearts, and that as we live our lives as your people, our boast would only and always be in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Anoint these lips of clay and anoint the ears of every listener in divine presence. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory as we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Well, as we've already mentioned, we know that today, Palm Sunday always marks the beginning of Holy Week. Holy Week is the last week of Jesus's earthly life. And we focus on what we call his passion. We're reminded that that word passion comes from a Latin word, paseo, and it means suffering. I know in our understanding, we often think of passion as being intense and uh, enthusiastic. Jesus certainly had that because I believe he went to the cross with passion to do his father's will. 
and in doing so, knowing that he would bring many sons and daughters back to the Father. But this is about his sufferings and the price that he paid for us. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it's interesting to note that in the four Gospels that document for us the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, those four Gospels contain 89 chapters. But 29 of those chapters are dedicated to capturing this last week in the life of Jesus, the sufferings of Christ that began with his prayer in Gethsemane, with Judas betraying him with a kiss. These chapters cover the trials of Jesus, his beatings, his scourging, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and then finally his resurrection. Two-thirds of the Gospels dedicate these passages to his life. But we know that his life in the Gospels is from his birth to when he was 12 years old. And then we have those 18 hidden years where nothing is spoken of the life of Jesus. Everyone knew him as the son of Mary and Joseph, who had brothers and sisters, but they did not recognize him as the Messiah until after he was baptized by John and began his public ministry. So there's no mention, but there is this one-third of the Gospels that is dedicated to this last seven days in the life of Jesus. And when you consider that amount of Scripture that is dedicated to these last days of Jesus, to his passion, it certainly behooves us to give much attention to what the Word of God has to say about the passion of Christ. This reality led one Bible commentator to say this, the Gospels are essentially passion narratives with extended introductions. And he's certainly right. But you know, very, very sadly, we reserve only this occasion. When Palm Sunday comes, then we get our minds into focus and think, okay, this is the beginning of Holy Week. I, I know sometimes we, we get excited about Palm Sunday because that first Palm Sunday was jubilant and it was joyous as Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah and rode into Jerusalem on that cult. And he was proclaimed as the Messiah. He was proclaimed as the king, but he was not coming to set up his kingdom on this earth. He was coming to set up his kingdom in the hearts of men, as we've been studying in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I believe that there's this, this subtle danger here that we forget the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, because it is Palm Sunday and it is the first day of Holy Week, we want to focus our attention and not fail to remember why Jesus came. Today, we're observing the Lord's Supper. Jesus left that ordinance for the very specific purpose 
that we would never forget. And when we think about the Lord's Supper, it's not something that we just hear about. Jesus gives us bread, and he gives us the fruit of the vine, and he says, this is my body. We actually take that emblem that symbolizes his body. We receive it, and we recognize that his body was bruised and beaten and broken for my sin, and his blood was shed for the remission of our sins. How thankful we need to be. So Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper, and he said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember the Lord's death. But we should keep the cross before us frequently. And may I suggest always the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. I know as we go through life, there, there are a lot of things in which we can glory, and we, we get proud of this, or we get proud of that, and, and I'm going to have more to say about that in a few moments, but instead of glorying in those things and in boasting about those things, why are we not boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ? Because it's by that cross that we've been forgiven. It's by that cross that we have eternal life. The story is told of St. Francis of Assisi, who was once found weeping uncontrollably. And someone asked him, Francis, why are you crying? And listen to his answer. I weep for the sorrows, the shame, and the disgrace that my Lord endured for me. And what makes me weep the most is that we for whom he suffered so much live in forgetfulness of him. And I think it would be well that all of us ask ourselves the question as we go uh, through life and as we walk in this journey, how often do we remember the cross? How often do we reflect upon the price that Jesus paid for us. You know, Francis became so sensitized to the reality of the price that Jesus paid for us that when he even heard the bleeding of a little lamb, he would immediately awaken within his heart the remembrance of how much Jesus suffered and how he bled and how he died and he would begin to weep all over again. The passion, the sufferings of Christ were foremost in his mind. And I believe they were foremost in the mind of the Apostle Paul. And that's why he said, I will never boast except in the cross of Christ. How about you and me? Does that thought of Calvary fill us and fill us with deep emotion? Does it bring us to tears? Harold St. John wrote these haunting words. The cross of Christ means nothing unless it takes your breath away. The danger for so many of us who were raised in the church is that we, we know the story of the cross and we've heard it over and over again and it has become commonplace to us. 
And we fail to really lay hold of the mystery and the majesty and the glory that the Son of God would leave heaven's splendor, come to this earth as a baby, humble himself to be robed in human flesh, that that flesh could be nailed to the cross, that he would suffer and die for our sins. The Apostle Paul was so much like St. Francis. He too was obsessed with Christ's passion. After he was saved, he was obsessed with one thing, and that was the message of the cross. We read in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, this was his focus. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, we could stop there at save Jesus Christ because we hear a lot of preaching about Jesus Christ, do we not? But how much about and him crucified? Maybe it's because we don't want to think about his death. Maybe some, some of us are a little squeamish, and I, I don't know about you, but have you watched the movie, The Passion by Mel Gibson? Yeah. I, I tell you, honestly, I have a hard time watching that movie because the, the, the brutal beatings that Jesus went through, that he became so disfigured that he was not even recognizable as a human being. The scripture tells us in Isaiah that it pleased the father to crush his son. Saints of God, can, can we lay hold of, embrace the reality of all that Jesus suffered for you and me and the price that he paid for us? I think that it's our human nature that we understand the value of something when we understand the price that it cost. You know, my wife could bring something home and she's, she's quite a shopper. And uh, whether or not I get impressed is when she tells me how much she paid for it. But all kidding aside, when we have something that is truly valuable, that really cost us a lot, a lot, a lot of money, that is something we really, really value. Do we really value the cross? The scripture says we've not been redeemed with silver or gold We've been redeemed by the precious blood of God's Son. The blood of God's Son. In this post-Christian era in which we're living today, there's this subtle emphasis away from the cross. Some churches today feel that it's a turnoff to speak about the blood. Because if you speak about the blood, then people really won't want to be in your church. Because I mean, after all, that's gruesome. Who wants to talk about the shedding of the blood? I know we care an awful lot about the blessings that the blood brings to us, but do we understand if it were not that Jesus was willing to go to the cross and to shed that blood, that we would not have those blessings? I never want to forget the admonition of the old hymn. 
And I'm reminded of those words, King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. But lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. As I was preparing this message and that hymn came to me, I, I was thinking about how in the church that I grew up in, so many of the hymns that we would sing all focused on the cross. In fact, every time we came to church and we came to worship together, the cross was in focus. I'm sure some of you old timers certainly will remember on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Those old hymns have theology that is so solid and so powerful, and it seems the day and age in which we're living, so many of the gospel songs are about me and my blessings, and it just really frank, frankly makes me wonder why we don't sing these old hymns anymore. The old hymns that were written in the 1700s, we were singing in the late 1900s. It seems when we turn the century, the, the worship scene just completely changed. And it's, it's all about, I, I don't even want to say what it's all about. It, it, it's about a lot, and may I, not our worship team, but it's about a lot that is not about the cross and Jesus. It's about how talented we are and uh, what kind of sound we can make and how well we could perform and turn on the strobe lights and get the smoke going so we got an atmosphere. That's not the cross, my friend. The cross is about Jesus being lifted up. The cross is about the price that he paid for us. And we could sing at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. I think of John Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Listen to the theology in this song. Can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood, died he for me? I caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be 
that thou, my God, should die for me. And as I read the words of that song, I'm reminded of G. Camel, Camel Morgan, a great evangelist of yesteryear who reflected on his sin and the price that Jesus paid. And he wrote these words, out, damned spot. And that is the true cry of human nature. For there's a stain that cannot be removed without blood. And that which is infinitely more and deeper and profounder and more terrible than blood, of which blood is but a symbol, is the suffering of deity. That blood that was shed was not the blood of a man. Yes, the man, Christ Jesus, who was God, who became man, never ceased being God. He just laid aside the prerogatives of his deity. He was 100% God and 100% man. He was not tainted by sin because he was not born of man. Joseph was not the seed that was planted in Mary's womb. The Holy Spirit caused the conception of Jesus. And so we could sing that song, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Jesus dying on that cross is Emmanuel, God with us who came to this earth and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. And so we think about this text that we've read this morning, that the Apostle Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It actually seems strange for us, and how can we appreciate the words of Paul considering that crucifixion was the most heinous, horrible death that anyone could ever suffer. Those two words actually seemingly are opposites. The cross, glory, they don't go together. They're direct opposites because there was not a more humiliating, painful, shameful way to die than crucifixion. There was no glory in the act of crucifying a criminal because it was indeed a punishment reserved for the worst criminals, only the most evil, only the most depraved, only the most notorious criminals were sentenced to crucifixion. And yet Paul says Christ, as subjected to this shameful punishment, was something in which he gloried. He found his delight. He found his boast in the cross. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the Apostle Paul, I think that's quite an astonishing thing, that that's the only thing that he wants to boast about. That deplorable crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Did you know the very word, C-R-U-X, I guess in the Latin, was unmentionable in polite society because it was such a disgusting, deplorable execution, but Paul is so emphatic 
that every fiber of his being, he says, God forbid, God forbid that I should boast or glory in anything but the cross. And while those in polite Roman society would not say the word, Paul says, it's my glory, it's my glory, it's my boast, the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul had so much in which he could boast. It seems illogical when you consider his resume and his CV. Do you remember who Paul was? He was this brilliant scholar who sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That's like going through Harvard and Yale all at the same time. I mean, he was educated beyond all the others. He had this stellar career as a prominent Pharisee. The Pharisees were so widely respected. He was Rabbi Shaul. Paul really had so much cause for boasting just even in his conversion. I mean, how many of us are saved today because we actually heard the voice of Jesus come through the sky and say, Paul Spuler, why are you persecuting me? No, that, that's not the way it happened for me. I don't know if that's the way that happened for you. Paul had this kind of dramatic conversion, and I'm sure that churches are just packed full when someone like a Paul comes in and says, you got to listen to my conversion experience. I mean, it's so dramatic, and it's so powerful. It, it's like a Hollywood presentation. Paul says, I'm not going to glory in that. Paul says, I'm not going to glory in the fact that God called me to write half the New Testament. Paul didn't say, I'm going to glory in the fact that he sent me on these missionary journeys as an apostle that was able to start countless churches and, and myriads of people came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the apostle Paul. <laughs> you know, today, that's what Christian celebrities boast in how big is their church and how many people attend and all the programs that they have and how God's given them this gift and that gift and how they could do this better than anyone else. Where is the boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ? I mean, Paul was gifted by God to do special miracles wherever his handkerchiefs went. Those that were sick, those that were demonized, were healed and delivered and set free. God even lifted Paul into the third heaven where he was there before the throne of God. He said, what I saw is so unspeakable, I cannot even talk to you about it. And it was everything that Paul could become so boastful or proud of. But we recall that God sent a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. And Paul realized as he went through the rest of his life that he could only and would only boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. What does it mean by the cross? Paul's not referring to the literal cross, but rather who died on the cross and all that he accomplished by dying on the cross. And so Paul was obsessed with that. And this morning for the closing moments of our message, I just want to share with you why should the cross be the grounds for our boasting. First of all, we glory in the cross for the person who was crucified there. You know, as Christians, we do not, we do not uh, consecrate or glory in crosses in general. We don't, 
wear them around our necks as a crucifix. I mean, if you do, there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't, if you believe that because you're wearing a cross, that somehow it's going to chase the demons away, then, then you've got a wrong theology there. Because it's only in him and in believing in what he did on the cross that you can find salvation and forgiveness for sins. Whereas we know that there are people today who reverently hold that crucifix in their hand and they pray to that crucifix and no, 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 no. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We recognize that the Christ, the Son of God, died there for me. See, the cross and the Messiah, whom the Jewish people thought was going to come to deliver them from Roman oppression and set up his kingdom on the earth, was the one who humbled himself even to the point of dying on the cross. And we glory in the cross because we're glorying in the person of the Lord Jesus. And what did Jesus say? If I be lifted up. He was referring to the cross. When he was lifted up on that cross and when he paid the full payment for the punishment of our sin, then he said, all men and women can be drawn unto me. He was the lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the earth. Secondly, we as Christians glory only in the cross because of its power. There's power in the cross. There's power in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Did you hear that? You could preach the gospel to those who are perishing, to those who are rejecting Christ, and, and they will say to you, what are you trying to tell me? That a man dies on the cross and he sheds his blood and that can forgive me and guarantee me an eternity with God? And they think that is foolishness. That was the Greek mentality of Paul's day. They were the educated people. They were the people that went to the higher schools of learning and the, the cross, the message of the cross was foolishness. But to those who have faith and place their faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, it becomes the power of God, the power to raise us up out of our spiritual death and give us a new life in Christ. Do we realize that before Christ, B.C., we were dead in our trespasses and sins? Maybe we were good people. Yeah, we could be good people, but we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. The only thing that can save us, the only thing that can raise us out of that state of death is the Holy Spirit coming into us and raising us up and giving us new life through the new birth by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We glory in the cross because of its power, its power to heal, its power to deliver, its power to set free. Do we understand that in the cross, Jesus purchased for us that healing and that deliverance, whatever the need is, whether it's spiritual healing for the salvation of our souls, whether it's physical healing for the healing of our bodies, whether it's mental or emotional healing for, for our souls,
soul's diseases, it was all provided by Jesus when he died on that cross. And do we know it was prophesied 700 years before the crucifixion took place? Deborah read it during the worship team's presentation this morning, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. See, sin requires punishment. The scripture says, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. But without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So is there any hope for us without the cross? No, 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 there is no hope. Our only hope, our only salvation is in the cross and in the blood that Jesus shed for us. There's power in the cross. Even as we walk this Christian life, that we could walk in victory over sin. In the text that we've read this morning, we see the power of the cross where the apostle Paul says, by the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I like this translation. Because of that cross, my interest in all the attractive things of the world was killed long ago, and the world's interest in me is also dead. Do you see this morning that because of the cross, the things of the world have become dead to us, and we've become dead to the world? If you're struggling with the attractions of the world, Christian friend, you need to take another trip to the cross. You need to get immersed in the revelation of the cross and what the power of the cross can do in your life once you surrender to the, to the Christ of the cross, once you give your life, once you say, Lord, I surrender to you, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, all that I am, all that I have, all that I shall ever be. You created me for your glory. I want now to live for your honor and for your glory. And lastly, Christians, glory in the cross because of the purpose of the cross. The Apostle Paul, uh, John wrote in his first epistle, chapter 3 and verse eight, the re verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, we read that word destroy, and some of us think, does that mean annihilate? That's usually what you think of. When something is destroyed, it's annihilated, it's gone. I don't know if, uh, how many of you, some of you were not even born back in the early 70s, but there was a, a book that came out by Hal Lindsey, became very, very popular, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. How many of us know Satan is alive and well on planet Earth? In this woke society, he is alive and well. And so many people are falling into the deception that they need to become woke to be acceptable or to be nice or to be kind or to be loving because that's what loving and kind is. It's to be woke. If it's against God's word, it's a deception. It is not woke. Thank you for the amen. So Satan is alive and well, and God forbid that we fall into what society is trying to sell us. 
It's a lie from the pit of Satan's hell. We need, to, we need to consecrate ourselves unto God and say, God, I'm only going to live by what your word says, by what your truth declares, by what you've commanded in your word, and not by what the woke society is trying to tell me is how I'm to live my life. So it doesn't mean that Satan was utterly destroyed, but it does mean this. Satan was rendered inoperable. He was rendered powerless in the lives of those who have the cross working in their hearts. Lay hold of that this morning, that if we have the cross working in our lives and the power of that cross, Satan has nothing on us. He could growl, but he has no teeth. Satan is only as big as we make him in our minds. And here's where the battle lies between our two ears. Are we going to believe what God's word says? Or are we going to believe with the subtle suggestions the enemy insinuates into our minds concerning, oh, you're never going to be able to get the victory over that. That thing has a stronghold on you. Oh, that attraction to the world, you're always going to be attracted in that way. The devil is a liar. What did we read in God's word? It's by the cross that I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. What does it mean to be crucified? It means you're dead to it. You're powerless. It has no power on you and you have no power in allowing it to have power on you because you've been crucified with Christ. It's an, an effective against the children of God because Jesus, when he died on the cross, he defeated the devil. That was prophesied way back in Genesis 3 and 15 when God said to the serpent that the seed of woman is going to, you're going to bruise his heel. And that's what Satan thought he did when Jesus was nailed to the cross. But the scripture prophesied that that seed of woman who is Jesus, born of Mary, is going to crush your head. And when the head is crushed, what's left? You can't think, you can't do, you can't speak. You are rendered powerless. Let's stop giving the enemy credit for what he deserves no credit for. I know the enemy is powerful in the lives that are surrendered to him. That's why the scripture says this world lies in the wicked one. The wicked one is controlling. He's the prince and the power of the air. But you and I have been seated together with Christ in heavenly places. We're seated above the, the air, that first stratosphere. We are seated together with Christ in heavenly places, and we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. And so, saints of God, this morning, on this Palm Sunday, as we contemplate Holy Week, let's remember the passion of the Christ the passion of his sufferings, the brutal beatings, the insults, the humiliation of being stripped bare and hanging naked upon a cross. And the realization of that led Martin Luther to say these words, Lord Jesus, you have taken upon yourself what is mine and given me what is yours. 
You've become what you were not so that I might become what I was not. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what the cross is all about. It's about a divine exchange. And as we bow our heads and hearts and preparing ourselves for the communion service, I want us to reflect on the cross and we pray, Holy Spirit, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget your love for me, lead me to Calvary. Bring us to the cross, the foot of the cross once again, that we might see you, a man, the son of the living God, becoming sin. Such a despicable sight that the father had to turn his eyes and you cried out on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You took the full brunt of the punishment of the wrath of God, the punishment not for your sin because you were perfect and holy and righteous in all of your ways, but I was the sinner who rebelled against you, who transgressed your law, who committed sin willfully and rebelliously, fell often into iniquity, but all of those sins you bore to the cross. We thank you today for it, Lord Jesus. Help us to have a holy meditation upon that cross. And as we partake of communion elements today, that we would remember the price that you paid and rededicate, reconsecrate ourselves to you to live holy and holy for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for communion, we're just going to put a song up on the uh, screen. The Via Della Rosa, I pray that this helps us, refreshes our memory for the price that Jesus paid.